We are back with another exciting episode of Radio vs. the Martians. I'm Mike Gillis, and I am really excited about the episode we're going to be doing today. Not only is this our very own Casey Doran's first time in the moderator chair, but we are covering America's favorite Austrian import, Arnold Schwarzenegger. A man whose movies are so full of machismo, they might as well have scripts that were printed on a steak. I hope you enjoy it. Now let's get our asses to Mars. Out of the briny depths of the internet comes a comic book podcast so powerful it cannot be contained by a single continent. Mike and Paul save the universe! I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Paul Root. If you're an unsatisfied comics fan, we want to help you find better comics. And if you've never picked up a comic before in your life, we want to help you find what could be your new favorite thing. On Mike and Paul Save the Universe, we love the bejesus out of comics. And so should you. Find us online at MikeAndPaul.com. 1937. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War I hero, Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night 2011. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a 2012 Eagle Award for Favorite Webcomic, and Kelly won a 2012 Philadelphia Geek Award for Comic Book Writer of the Year. Ace Kilroy features adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit acekilroy.com. Arnie, Mr. Universe, the Austrian Oak, the Governator. Arnold Schwarzenegger is arguably one of the most recognized action movie stars in American pop culture. His is an unlikely rags-to-riches immigrant success story. Whether as an archetype of the ruthless, one-liner-spouting killing machine, or as the bumbling, family-friendly oaf, Schwarzenegger's persona has been parodied and aped so many times that he could even be said to have become a parody of himself. He is so beloved that he was elected the governor of California, with no legislative experience whatsoever, but with a resume of leading roles in movies with names like Conan the Barbarian, Kindergarten Cop, and The Terminator. Our discussion panel today will address the character, the life, the muscles, and the legend of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Some of my earliest memories of watching home videos are sneaking into the living room while my uncle watched The Terminator. The nightmarish vision of robots on tank treads crushing an ocean of human skulls has stuck with me to this day. And then the introduction of Arnold's character, the T-800, the unstoppable cybernetic killer stalking his way through an early 80s Los Angeles. Arnold was a staple of my cultural education, as he was for a generation of kids weaned on cable TV and video rentals in the 80s and 90s. He was a modern-day mythical hero, his spirit indelibly burned into 100 million VHS tapes, securing himself a seat in the pantheon of rental store gods. Growing to love Arnold's movies was to suspend all disbelief, to revel in the cheesy one-liners, and to forget the action cliches for what they were, fun popcorn excess. I still find myself with an ear-to-ear -ear grin when I see one of his movies show up on Netflix or cable, and I think that my fondness transcends this simple nostalgia. So how did this man, nay, this legend come about? Let's briefly peer into Arnold's biography. 
An Austrian immigrant, Schwarzenegger began as an amateur bodybuilder. He would go on to win the Mr. Universe competition and the most coveted title for bodybuilders, the Mr. Olympia contest, seven consecutive times. However, Schwarzenegger's claim to fame would ultimately be staked in another flashy popularity contest, Hollywood. Beginning with the minor role in the 70s, he exploded into fame as the invincible, loincloth-wearing Conan the Barbarian. Another Conan film followed, then a series of starring roles in films that would cauterize his archetype as the seriously ripped, wisecracking ass-kicker. The Terminator, Commando, Predator, and The Running Man followed. Later, the huge box office success in Total Recall and a surprisingly successful family comedy, Kindergarten Cop. Schwarzenegger would reprise his role as the T-800 cyborg soldier turned surrogate father in 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, personally my choice for the best sequel of all time. The film would go on to gross half a billion dollars worldwide and permanently enshrine Arnold in pop culture. Schwarzenegger's storied career would see another decade of big-ticket Hollywood flicks. He would move to the political stage, to the California governorship, and begin fulfillment of the prophecy as set forth in the holy and revered Demolition Man. Two full terms later, amidst a bevy of sexual harassment scandals, marital infidelity to his wife Maria Shriver, and ultimately the revelation that he sired a child with his Guatemalan housekeeper, Schwarzenegger has now returned to movies in the cameo-packed The Expendables 1 and 2 and The Last Stand earlier this year. With another film, Escape Plan with Sly Stallone, just released in October, Schwarzenegger is poised for a return, a fulfillment of his renowned promise, he'll be back. I am overjoyed to announce this episode's panelists. Firstly, a returning panelist, friend of the show, and composer of the Radio vs. the Martian theme song, Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Glad to be here. Also with us, co-host and producer of Ask an Atheist, the polylingual pedagogist, Becky Friedman. Pleased to be here. And of course, short round to my Indiana Jones, Garth to my Wayne, Gail King to my Oprah Winfrey, Mike Gillis. How's it going? <laughs> okay, everybody, iron out your camo pants. Dust off your grenade launcher and fire up the Humvee. We're on a covert mission deep in enemy territory for this episode of Radio vs. the Martians, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger is undoubtedly a massively successful Hollywood star, but he's never going to win an Oscar. I mean, he has a very narrow range of acting skills, and he's not a comedian, nor is he transitioned to becoming a director. What is so special about Arnold that, say, someone like Lorenzo Lamas doesn't have that makes him endure? Todd, tell me, what is it about Arnold? One of the things with him is he has always been abnormally huge while having, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, his face is not necessarily unhandsome. It's different enough. Part of that, I think, is that he's foreign, so he has a different facial structure that he looks different enough to us, but he also has those almost classical good looks. Hmm. Whereas somebody like Lorenzo Lamas isn't necessarily ugly, depending on how you look at it, but he's going to look a little bit more familiar and just like the guy you went to high school with. He's pretty generic, really, when you look at Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah. There's nothing about him that I think is particularly memorable, where Arnold is like his giant cartoon character. Yeah, I mean, he's got a gap tooth, so he's got kind of an odd part of his face that's sort of somewhat memorable. And then married to the voice, of course, I think makes it pretty distinct. So, Mike, what would you say is most memorable about Arnold Schwarzenegger to you? Well, he looks like a He-Man toy, for one. (laughs) I mean, he's huge. There's undeniably the sense that this is something other than human that's walking onto your set. There's a sense that he doesn't sound like other actors either, and I think that's what the appeal is. Right. If you really want to get to what Arnold is, it's the idea of this larger-than-life cartoon badass who smirks and punches and kills his way through movies, who looks at the camera, makes a joke, but does it in a voice and in an accent that is immediately recognizable, that begs you to mimic it, Mm. that, Mm -hmm. that is so unlike anything else on the screen when we do impressions of bad action movies, we immediately do an Arnold impression. 
There's mm. something universal about it that when we think of 80s action movies, I'd practically say an 80s action movie is a genre unto itself. Right. It's typified by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you did say something earlier, and I do want to dispute it a little bit. Mm. Yes, he's never going to win an Oscar. We're never going to have that mode where we go, wow, he's way better than I thought he was. <laughs> he did win a few Golden Globes, though, didn't he? Didn't he win a Golden Globe what? for something silly like Junior? This I don't the, think he did. This I, is the first time I'm ever hearing about it, but I don't doubt that the Hollywood Foreign Press could do something so stupid. For like best comedic actor or something. Maybe it was just a nomination. <laughs> for Junior. For not swallowing his tongue, I think. But I think that's the point, is that it's a bit like John Wayne, where we don't go into something expecting him to be anything other than Arnold. Right. We don't want him to disappear into a character. He's not like an actor like Gary Oldman. He's not going to be someone that when he appears on screen, you forget that you're watching Arnold. You don't want to forget that you're watching Arnold, because any movie he touches, he immediately changes. It's now an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Right. And you did say that he is not a guy who's going to win an Oscar again, but... I don't think we want him to. I don't think that's the experience we go to an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie for. Right. And I wouldn't say he's without range. He just has very limited range. And I've actually thought about this a little bit. There are actually three distinct Arnold Schwarzenegger characters that appear in his movies. Okay. The first one is I like to call the platonic ideal Arnold. <laughs> this is the one that you see in most movies like Commando and Kindergarten Cop even. Because he's essentially this larger-than-life, muscly action figure who just beats the shit out of people. Ass-kicking equals authority, right? Well, yeah, and, yeah. and the voice. Uh, but a lot of it is he just beats the shit out of people, he blows up their house, then he smirks at the camera and he makes a joke. I think that Arnold probably sees himself this way. I mean, when he was in the governor's office, he branded himself that way. Sure he did. He knew that catchphrases were his bread and butter, so he continued doing it continually. So that's the Arnold we see in almost every one of his movies. Predator, Commando, Kindergarten Cop, True Lies. This is the Arnold he used to sing. Then there's the second Arnold, which is the Terminator, where he's actually acting, and he does convincingly play a robot. I know that sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like an insult, but it's not. He's actually very convincing as somebody who's moving like a machine that doesn't have a lot of unnecessary action that isn't moving in a way that feels organic. He really does feel like somebody who is impervious to pain, who doesn't understand emotion, <laughs> and is curious in the same way, and this will sound weird, as Brent Spiner is Data. Sure. And here's the third Arnold. This is the one we're talking about with the movie Twins, or the villain. I call this one... The Cousin Balky on steroids. <laughs> and this is, he's the naive, sweet-natured guy from out of town. He just doesn't understand the big city. He doesn't understand cynicism. He's easy to take advantage of. A little Crocodile Dundee thrown in there. Exactly. Right. It's, it's total Crocodile right. Dundee, that he's the guy from out of town. He doesn't understand. If somebody tries to mug him, he's more amused by it. Right. And he effortlessly <laughs> beats the shit out of them. And he's just like, oh, I don't understand why this man is so angry at me. <laughs> Becky, before we get off on too many tangents, what is memorable to you about Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because I'll peg you as the least fan. Least fan of Arnold? Not sure. Let's see here. No, Casey, you started out by saying some of your earliest memories were stumbling into watching either Terminator 2 or, or something. First Terminator. Okay, first Terminator. So actually, I think my first exposure to Arnold was with Terminator 2, because I remember my mother yelling at my father saying, you can't show the kids that movie. It's too violent. <laughs> and it was exceedingly scary. It was exceedingly scary for a nine-year-old. There are kids having their flesh blown off with a nuclear weapon. It's the Linda Hamilton nuclear holocaust scene really sort of that dream scary. scene and it's terrifying but the thing is that arnold himself was not terrifying because in that he was the hero right. i mean he was the savior but we had this you know weirdo liquidy robot that was that was scary you know the nuclear holocaust that was terrifying so i actually have two 
sort of simultaneous exposures to Arnold. And one of them is in Terminator 2, where he's this invincible robot. He is invincible. The only way that he ends up being overcome is is by his own choice to dip right. himself into the molten-y, scary stuff. So anyway, so you have this invincible hero robot. And to nine-year-old Becky, who had never seen the first one, he wasn't scary. He was the good guy. And then at the same time, it was the guy who was standing next to President George H.W. Bush. Oh, wow. Saying, hey, kids, go run the 50-yard dash really fast and promote fitness. I grew up in a medical family and physical fitness, you know, okay, it's there and everything. So on my presidential merit awards and presidential fitness awards, still had George Bush's signature on it, even when Clinton had been elected, because apparently they hadn't run off enough copies. <laughs> <laughs> and during the little awards ceremony, they would always pipe in the little video, the pre-recorded video of Arnold saying like, good job, kids, for being good on running and fitness. <laughs> and also get your ass to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> that could, that could, you could burn some calories getting your ass to Mars. And perhaps as an educator and someone who works in a school now, that's one of the most salient memories I have of, of Arnold. Mike, I gotta, I gotta say, I was really impressed that you wedded the commando true lies Arnold to the <laughs> kindergarten cop Arnold, because yeah. I had always put kindergarten cop Arnold with junior Arnold with twins Arnold, sure. with even last action hero Arnold. I had always put that Arnold on one side and then the super badass punchy kicky Arnold on the other side. And then Terminator is Terminator. That's Robot Arnold, and that is a standalone, most awesome thing. Kindergarten um, is like the bridge between the two, really. Is it? Because yeah, he, it, it is a kicky, them. punchy thing, but it has yeah, kids he's still in it. A, he's still a badass, what right? What makes it funny is that he is that character from Commando right. thrust into the environment of those other movies you're speaking of. Yeah, he starts a movie out threatening people and even has catchphrases, I am the party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> he's somebody that is very much the typical Arnold at the beginning of the movie. He's just confronted with a problem that he's not allowed to blow up. He can't hit these kids. He can't reason with these kids. Not that his reasoning was ever part of his strategy. You have to entertain them very nicely when they say the word vagina in a very <laughs> silly way. It's a typical humor of taking somebody and putting them in a scenario. The that's, fish out of water, right? Exactly. He's yes. completely inappropriate for the scenario that you see this guy who is the guy who will pick you up by your throat and lift you against the wall and threaten you. <laughs> so that is the Cousin Balky, but mixed with Commando. Well, he's thrown in a Cousin Balky environment. There's nothing innocent about him that he is pretty much the same badass Arnold, but you see him in The Villain, which is a movie he did in the 1970s, and he is wearing this powder blue cowboy outfit, and he helps a lady across the street. She doesn't want to be lift. He literally lifts her across the right. street. <laughs> he just doesn't understand how things are done, and you get the impression this is a guy who understands the world through books and has never really encountered people and doesn't realize that cowboys don't dress like characters from children's TV programming. You know, speaking of the 70s, I do have to come back to an earlier point. He did not win a Golden Globe for Junior, but he was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Wow, I did not call that. Apparently there weren't very many funny or musical films in 1995. (laughs) But um, he did win a Golden Globe prior to that. What? He won in 1977 for Best Acting Debut in a Motion Picture for Stay Hungry. Yeah, but that wasn't his debut. I don't know. That's weird. That is weird. Again, I don't think of him as a guy who has this range, because I don't think we want range from Arnold, do we? From an action hero, no. Kind of like a John Wayne or Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Tommy Lee Jones, for that matter. Sure. These are people that you don't want to see play a character. You want to see them go on screen and be themselves. It's interesting that you brought up Tommy Lee Jones because Tommy Lee Jones also was really horribly shoehorned as a Batman villain, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger was, and both of them were fucking laughable. Totally laughable. I will say, 
Tommy Lee Jones at least has a little bit of acting chops to play like a psycho, whereas Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze was just like one terrible ice pun after the other. I'm kind of sad, actually, that Arnold's career started to go into precipitous decline after after Batman and Robin when he played Mr. Freeze, because the thing is that I think he actually played that role probably 10 years too early, because if it had come in 2007 or whatever, then it would have been Arnold making fun of himself, really hammy up as Arnold being Arnold being Arnold and taking on a stupid role, much in the vein that Shatner does now. Shatner has gotten a second wind to his career because he learned to laugh at the joke of being Shatner. Now, it's very interesting that you bring this up. This was my next question. Almost everyone in America, including those who haven't seen an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, can do an impersonation. And he is a popular target for caricature and parody. You can do one, Becky. Well, no, it's just that I am a Spanish teacher. And so one of the very first things we do in the very beginning of the year is greetings and goodbyes. And there's about 8 million hasta. There's hasta pronto, hasta luego. And of course, after we're getting to them, hasta. 18 kids, no matter whether they've seen an Arnold video or not, whether they're six months in the country, I'll go hasta la vista, baby. And so, yes, it's the, it's the pervasiveness <laughs> of, an, of an Arnold impersonation. Yeah, it was funny. I was just reading about in the Spanish release of the Terminator 2 movie. He says, just to preserve sort of the otherness of that line, he says, sayonara, baby. <laughs> yes. The beautiful thing about Arnold impressions is they don't have to be that good. My question really is, he has become so iconic with this character, with this voice and this accent, that he hired, this may be apocryphal, I don't know, he hired a speech coach to help him maintain his accent because it would become flattened out the longer he stayed in the United States. So my thought about this is, is the Arnold that we know a very carefully, consciously crafted persona, or is Arnold totally serendipitous? See, I've been wanting to pipe in since the introductory statements about this. For me, Arnold Schwarzenegger is all about the brand of Arnold Schwarzenegger and has been since after Terminator. Because in Conan and Terminator, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, he is playing a role. And they're quite a bit different, the performances in the two. But after that, he does become Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not Conan. He's not Terminator. He's always Arnold Schwarzenegger as whoever. I don't even remember the name of his character in a number of movies. You know, it's only when somebody says a line that <laughs> I remember. Oh, it's yeah. It's like that's... John or some John something or. Yeah, he's like Elvis in a movie. It doesn't <laughs> yes. matter. Chad, Matt, whatever. That's a guy. That had never occurred to me. Now, I can't think of any of his it's character's hard. actual names. He's Arnold, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where he's T-800 or he's Conan before that. So after that, he becomes this brand of Arnold and it's carefully cultivated what people liked about him. And when we talk about what is recognizable about him, it's also that he's so easy to brand because of all that distinctiveness. The hugeness, the face, the gap, the voice, all these things are so instantly brandable. And that's really what gets him the popularity is that branding. And when we're talking about all the kids in your Spanish class knowing Hasta la Vista, baby, that's totally that brand permeating everything. He kind of feels like he's the achy, breaky heart of action movie stars, the Macarena of action movie stars. He's a longer lifespan than those, though. (laughs) It's just like he was perfectly crafted for the moment for the zeitgeist to be that. But he's, he's managed to maintain his career on that brand. I mean, he is the Kleenex of action stars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's amazing because you look at the 80s action movie and he really is the thing you think of. I mean, there are other lesser stars who are A-list guys as well. Sylvester Stallone being one. These are guys who had big careers, who had big roles, but it all felt like they're playing second fiddle to Arnold Schwarzenegger throughout the entire 80s. The thing about Sylvester Stallone, he finally got to not play second fiddle to Arnold Schwarzenegger in what movie, Mike? The Expendables? Last Action Hero. Last Action? Oh my God, that's right! Because if you'll notice in Last Action Hero, 
in the background they're in they're in some blockbuster video yeah okay i was gonna say they're in the movie theater and and there's a poster there's a movie poster for the terminator and who's playing the terminator (laughs) sylvester stallone (laughs) so funny that in joke is so great because that rivalry existed between the 80s of who was the one who was the better action movie and they kept doing that back and forth with their movies like for example demolition man this is the perfect segue into this what are we to think of this weird prophecy that was created by, I would just off the cuff, I assume, by writers who were doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge in joke for a mid late 90s Sylvester Stallone sci fi action movie that they add in this whole thing about the 61st Amendment to the Constitution and the Schwarzenegger Library. Because it's like there's something inevitable about the fact that Arnold will be this huge political force. Not only this, but also the Predator connection is that. Two of the three leading men in the Predator movie have went on to become governors of a state. When's Carl Weathers going to get his chance? I'm voting for Bill Duke. Bill Duke. (laughs) Bill Duke. (laughs) But I mean, what are we to make of this? And I think it's funny because I think it was actually spontaneous. But in reality, I think he picked it up and ran with it. I think he did. I think so. I think that he took the action persona. Again, you're talking about this branding that he's given himself. He brought it to the governor's office. He brought it to campaigning because that's what people want from him. Right. It's an experience they want. If I went to an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and he was playing this sad sack character who was overcoming alcoholism and it was quiet. I mean, even if he was great in it, I'd be a little disappointed because what do I want to see? I want to see him pick up a dude and throw him like Donkey Kong. (laughs) I want to see him blow stuff up. I want to see him make a joke after breaking a dude's neck. That's what I want. And this is why when I see a Schwarzenegger movie, what I really want is the recreation of something like Commando Hmm. or something really like Running Man. Running Man is just a string of him killing people in bizarre costumes, right. making a joke. Like He fights an evil hockey player in that movie. There's a level of absurdity that I yep. want in a Schwarzenegger he movie. He fights evil... No, he hires evil hockey players in Batman and Robin. Yeah, so eventually... <laughs> Those guys will work for me, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that he's eventually the guy that evil hockey players have to go to. It's great. Jim Brown in a jetpack. It's great. I I love that movie. Kills the evil hockey players. I give you Sub-Zero. Now, Brain Zero. Oh, fantastic. Well, I think we can't get through this discussion, and I think we should do it now, without talking about his most successful franchise, which is obviously The Terminator. As a kid, I really wanted to be a writer for Mad Magazine. Or if I couldn't make it to Mad or Cracked Magazine, that would have been fine for me. When it was still a magazine. Exactly. When it was an annoying clickbait website. I love their movie parodies, especially. And I remember specifically starting but not finishing a parody comic of the first Terminator movie, probably like on college rule paper with like blue pen. I remember this very clearly. Something about that movie, and then especially later on, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, resonated really, really hugely with me and with audiences around the world. As a sequel, I think it did what Empire Strikes Back did, which is expanded upon the setting of the original movie, raised the stakes of the movie with a more terrifying nemesis. And then I think that it did this all with, dare I say, more authenticity and believability in a movie than you would expect of a movie of the same ilk. I rarely see that in a sci-fi movie or an action movie these days. And I think, and tell me if you differ, that T2 will be what he's known for after he's long dead and gone. I'd like to think so. I mean, in a positive note, because despite the fact that he's made a lot of political decisions and proven himself to be kind of a creep in his personal life, and a lot of that's kind of come out, especially now that he's not in the governor's seat, I do still have a lot of affection for his movies, and I would like to see his 
movie legacy be something like Terminator 2? Well, let's unpack Terminator 2 for a little bit. I mean, does anyone want to jump out there and say what about it sort of stands apart from the rest of his films? See, I don't think it does. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the first Terminator is much better. Um, The second one feels like, I mean, it it is. It's a big, giant Hollywood movie. And to me, it feels like that. There's some really cool things about it, but it also has Edward Furlong. <laughs> I feel like he's the guy end at that point. But <laughs> he, he had been actor. He was chosen not because he was cast, but because he looked like Linda Hamilton. That was the reason why Edward Furlong was cast. Hmm. Uh, he did, was he was not an actor before this movie. And to me, a lot of the movie feels like that sort of decision making. It feels kind of cartoonish in a lot of ways to me. I think the coolest thing that it gives us is the complexity of the time. But actually, we get that from the first one by the end anyway, with the fatherhood situation. I didn't really chime in on this, but I think he'll be remembered as Conan. Hmm. And if you think about in the government, he was the governor, all that kind of stuff. But his first meeting with his cabinet as governor, he put down the Conan sword on the table. He didn't bring the stupid leather jacket from T2. <laughs> but at the end of the meeting, did he say, hasta la vista, baby? Probably. I assume he does that at every meeting, yeah. <laughs> There's no escaping it, because that's what he's known for. I think that on some level, even when he's a politician, he has a very acute sense of giving people what they want. There was actually a Reddit thread that actually came out a short while ago, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, where Arnold was on the set of whatever movie he's filming right now. I think in one shot, when he was recorded, you could see there's clearly a fire going on behind him. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's an action film. Right. He was talking to folks on Reddit, Based on how they voted, he would record himself on YouTube saying certain catchphrases because he knows that that's what people wanted, including things like, it's not a tumor, or you hit like a vegetarian, and my favorite, which is the one from Running Man, where he's like, I'll make you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going (laughs) to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! (laughs) And even charge the camera with, ah! (laughs) I think on a level he knows that he burned a lot of bridges as governor. And he wants to get back to that just goofy Mm. catchphrase guy because it's less complicated. But I don't know if he fully can as far as that legacy. I think the divisive partisan nature. Let's table the talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger's legacy for a Mm. little bit later because, yes, his political career ended and we should talk about that. But he has definitely tried to restart himself as a new action star and we should talk about that. But in the interim, let's talk about Arnold comedies because... This is something that you wouldn't have expected, and I think that makes him different than Lorenzo Lamas. So, True Lies and Commando. Yeah, yeah, they're so funny. (laughs) You know, starting with Kindergarten Cop, obviously, Arnold proved that he could carry a different type of film that was a tangent from a standard action movie. I recently rewatched Twins. It was a great movie, except for the score, which was laughably silly. I did hear that Triplets is now in production. Yes, they're making another one? sequels to like four of his franchises that are in the works right now. Interestingly enough, I was impressed, really impressed by his ability to keep up with Danny DeVito, who actually is a good comedic actor. I want to talk about funny Arnold and if we can try to avoid talking about Junior. Yeah, it's kind of hard to avoid it. But I think really Twins is the apex of his comedy career. I think that he's also acting with the most range in that movie, that you really see him not just play a one-note caricature the way he does in The Villain, where the whole character is just a joke. In this case, he really is a person. And... I like that you get to see him as somebody who becomes more worldly, who is a genuinely good guy, and that you want to see him succeed, not because he has the biggest muscles, but because he's a genuinely kind, decent, understanding person, and you see him react to a world that's very 80s, very cynical, very greedy. Right. And you can see that typified in the Danny DeVito character, and what I really enjoyed about it is how convincing he is 
as a naive character. And I think that when you're so used to seeing him as the guy who's totally in control of everything, who can just wade through henchmen like a fucking hot knife, (laughs) it's really cool to see him in a different mode. And I don't think he's done that character that often. But it's such a stark contrast to everything else he's done, because mostly, like we mentioned before, the kindergarten cop character is standard Arnold put into a comedy situation where the absurdity is that Arnold is in this situation, like kindergarten cop. Right. It's weird to see the guy from Commando hanging out with a bunch of six-year-olds. That's the joke, <laughs> that he's so used to threatening people and picking people up that it's funny when you see him go like, you eat other people's lunches? Stop it! <laughs> it's, it's fun because he's just so ill-equipped to that, and the joke is the action movie guy moves into a different movie right you know as far as twins goes i thought that lily tomlin did it better in big business i mean when you have a funny odd like you can't possibly be related movie and that kind of comedic thing i wasn't enthralled with it and i don't know that it necessarily stretched well, did Arnold's. you see jingle all the way or oh you know That's, i haven't seen that i've movie. had to chaperone enough seventh grade bus trips to the grand canyon that i do believe it may have been put on the overhead vhs charter bus thing but i can't say that i've watched <laughs> it in its entirety of my own volition I think that's one of the ones that I will protest watching and I didn't actually do for this. It's the only other movie I know of where Jake Lloyd appears other than Star Wars Episode One, where he played Anakin. He plays the kid in the movie. He plays Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. What I always find fast... poor, poor bastard. (laughs) feel so sorry for that kid. Oh, God. Grow up with that? And you just want to retire from acting because everyone just hates you. He did. But I just feel bad for him. But it's weird because it's another example of Arnold playing characters that have names that are clearly... The character was named before Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast. John Kimball, for instance. I bet you every one of these guys has a very heavily Anglophile name. And it doesn't make any sense that he's the only one in his family that has that accent. Right. It's a little weird. I think even in Kindergarten Cop, at least did the justice to have his partner, who was originally supposed to be the kindergarten teacher, meet with them for dinner. And she does a fake Arnold accent for the course of dinner. So at least they recognized it there. So I thought that was pretty smart. Because it's another excuse to laugh at his accent, which right. is again part of the marketing. Right. I think, Todd, what you were saying about Arnold is his own franchise, Arnold is his own legacy, and Arnold is Arnold in whatever he plays. We don't even remember those names. That just speaks to why it's not glaring, it's not jarring to have Arnold be the only one that's speaking in a sort of American-Austrian accent in the midst of everyone else. Even if he is a long-lost brother to Danny DeVito, they shouldn't have completely similar accents because they didn't grow up together. But it's not shocking that Arnold is speaking with Austrian There's a translucent fourth wall when it comes to Arnold. And they did give the scientist who raised him in that movie an accent, so it's not unrealistic that he would sound that way. (laughs) But again, the joke is that he's this giant, hulking, Austrian muscle man who comes into your country. He's practically treated like an alien in Twins. And that's the joke, is that he's this guy who knows the world through books, and he's very well-read, but he just doesn't understand people. Maybe we can veer a little bit off of what Schwarzenegger has done as far as the movie is concerned. That Schwarzenegger's life being this pretty impressive immigrant success story, and most of his business ventures, aside from movies minus Planet Hollywood, Ah. have been good successes. He is a very, very wealthy man. But this sort of runs counter to the perception that his sort of persona gives, which is that he's just like a meathead, a strong man, and that he's only good for ass kicking. So the question that I have for you is, is Arnold smarter than we think he is? I think he might be smarter than we think he is in a in the way a savant is. <laughs> He's very good at math. Well, what I mean by that is, in some ways, I mean, clearly he gets it. He knows how to market himself. Like you were saying, he knows what people want and he gives it to them. And he was governor for, what, seven years or something? Yeah. 
So he got reelected in a in a state that loves voting on things and doing recalls and things like that. He managed to yeah he got reelected in a fair election. So he he's mastered that. He obviously is very like you're saying he's very successful. He's he's very wealthy. On the other hand, you know, all you have to do is listen to one of his director commentary things on oh. DVDs, and you get that he has very limited understanding of very obvious things in some ways. Hmm. Is like it that his limited understanding of things that are obvious? I think it's just filmmaking. I mean, in terms of filmmaking, a director says, Arnold, go do this. No, you need to do it this way. Shift your body a little bit. And then it's fine and it's done. And he, as far as his director's commentaries goes, it just, to me, sounded like he has no interest in what actual film direction and filmmaking consists of. And so I think that maybe his smarts do lie in marketing. Marketing yeah. himself in marketing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that was brilliant to say, hey, I'm this huge hulking guy with this humongous Hummer from, you know, 20 years ago. Now, as governor, I'm going to take my huge hulking Hummer and now make it run on hydrogen. I mean, that there, that is yeah. smart. Either he himself is smart or he is smart enough to pick really smart handlers. And there's no real difference there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad we brought up the director's commentary because if you haven't listened to these, these things are glorious because you get the impression, again, with that narrowed focus on things that Arnold understands and things Arnold doesn't understand. I think director commentaries can be very easily filed into things he doesn't understand. You put commentaries on DVDs because you want to get extra insight into the movie making. Right. You want to understand the decisions that were made. Oh, this special effect was so hard. Oh, I have a funny story about this scene. Right. This is why we did this. Harrison Ford had a cold, and that's why he shot the guy with a scimitar. Right. Little fun stories like that, or the ghost in the hotel in Ghostbusters, they jokingly call the ghost of John Belushi. Those kinds of stories that you want to get. What does Arnold do? He does, like, director commentary for the blind. Where yeah. He, yeah. Just, he literally <laughs> describes what's happening on screen. He's like, and then you see me, I use him as a human shield, and then I throw him down the stairs. <laughs> what, no, it's great. I, I've described him as the John Madden of DVD commentary, because, yes, all he does is actually just describe what's <laughs> Narrates happening. Narrates what's going right. on. Exactly. Or, no, sometimes he does it, like, six seconds before it actually occurs. You have to wait and watch. I, it is very funny coming up here. Watch <laughs> this. I threw him. I, I threw him in, in the wall. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> See, that that guy got shot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, maybe part of it is, yeah, maybe he was just the actor, and so he never really cared about the process of filmmaking, or maybe he doesn't have a good memory. Like, I think it's actually possible to be a successful politician and a successful actor, and just not to have that particular skill. Remembering things that have stories and things that happen. Really, does Arnold just has to show up? Well, people want him to be Arnold, so he knows how to be Arnold. He just basically takes his real-life persona or how he wants to see himself and then just ratchets it up to 11. Did he have any acting lessons ever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he had, did? Okay. He, he did have acting coaches, I think, in the 70s and 80s. That was and vocal coaches earlier on, because you look yep. at his first movie in the United States. Was it Hercules Goes to New York? Hercules, Hercules in, in New, New York. York. Yes. Yeah, that one, he's almost incomprehensible, and I believe they had to fix most of his dialogue in ADR. No, he actually, interestingly enough, after Hercules in New York, he had like a string of maybe seven or eight roles throughout the 70s. And most of them, they just cast him as a non-speaking actor because it was just like too much. Like, I think he's like a, a deaf bodyguard or something. Man in, in one bar of them. Yeah, kind exactly, of uncredited exactly. role. Because they just didn't want him to speak because it would just be too unintelligible. It's weird that they wouldn't want him to speak knowing ahead of time, of course, you can't predict this, that his voice and his accent is why he's a star. He turns things that aren't catchphrases into catchphrases sometimes. Things like, I'll be back, which he said in like six movies. But the first time he says it, what makes it memorable? The accent. But when did that start happening? It wasn't in the 70s. And here's one of the things that I'm kind of interested in, in terms of like a sociological view of things. 
The 70s was still pretty close to World War II, and although Arnold speaks with an Austrian accent and often gets made fun of by Germans because it's kind of the hick Austrian accent, to untrained American ears, that can seem very foreign but hostile foreign as opposed to funny, campy action hero foreign. And so I'm wondering whether by the late 80s and 90s, there was enough time from World War II where an accent of someone who was a German speaker was okay again. I do remember there's this guy named Mark Emery. Do you know who Mark Emery is? Mark Emery is a syndicated talk show guy who does conspiracy theory stuff like CIA level kind of. And he is one of the guys that has been for the past like 20 years rehashing the Arnold Schwarzenegger as a fascist plant, basically. What? And it's all the credibility. Of this is all based on the fact that there's a very early photograph of him in, I believe it's in the Alps. I don't know. What, what are the mountain range in Austria? I don't even know. Where he's in a bikini and he's bodybuilding and he sort of has his right arm straight out and in the air and sort of like somewhat like a Nazi salute. That's like one of those poses they do. Though. I, I, I mean, you know. That's one of the Hulk Hogan poses. But I mean, this is, this is conspiracy theory, people. Right. But, you know, this runs headlong into yeah. the conspiracy theory thing that the German fascists never really went away. They just got absorbed into secret levels of the government. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is like the guy who is the Nietzschean Superman who's going to come and like restart the Fourth Reich or something. Political conspiracy cult leader Lyndon LaRouche actually forwarded that idea when he was running for what? governor. I did not know that. He actually did a radio ad part of LaRouche Pack. And if you don't know Lyndon LaRouche, type it into Google and immediately regret it. So <laughs> cannot unsee. He did a radio ad where he immediately compared him to Hitler saying your Austrian immigrant is going to destroy everything, blah, blah, blah. So that's nothing new. But I do think, like you said, Becky, that he has changed the perception of that accent because I remember being in junior high and we had a substitute gym teacher who was a hulking Austrian guy and people were thrilled to hear his accent and people wanted him to say things from Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and you could tell he was sick of doing it <laughs> and he was sick of doing it because people, they felt happy when they heard that accent. It wasn't that they saw him as a trope bad guy from an action film. He's not like one of Hans Gruber's henchmen. He's a superhero, and they want to hear the superhero say his superhero lines while he's beating up bad guys. So Schwarzenegger has, like, his character. He plays, and certain things are going to happen, usually like ass-kicking and one-liners, getting into trouble. Usually maybe a loved one is in danger or something. There is just a standard construction for what an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie is going to be, and it rarely deviates. Interestingly enough, the portrayal of women in Schwarzenegger movies is pretty horrible. By and large, looking back on it, it's pretty awful. Schwarzenegger has been criticized in the past for both his sort of subtle and overt sexism, not only in his movies, but in his real life. It's interesting that it reflects the roles that he chooses to play. So, for example, this is one thing that was used against him by Ariana Huffington when he was running against her for the governorship in California. In press interviews for T3, there's a story that I'll do my best Schwarzenegger here with a stuffed up nose. As we were rehearsing, I saw this toilet bowl, says Schwarzenegger, an impish smile crossing his face. How many times do you get away with to take a woman, grab her upside down, and bury her face in the toilet bowl? I wanted to have something floating in there, he adds. Apparently he was vetoed. They thought it was typical Schwarzenegger overboard, he says. The thing is, you can do it, because in the end, I didn't do it to a woman, she's a machine. We could get away with that without being crucified by who knows what group, end quote. So I kind of sense this in movies is that Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, he really just is an asshole about women. So in that case, it's really saying he really, really had this impetus to do that yes. to a woman he, for her sake this, of being this was a woman. He was, yes, this was something he was proposing to the director of like, ah, it's funny how I get to smash a woman's face into a toilet bowl because of the humiliation that that, you know, because he think that's a funny joke. 
you know, this along with sort of his infidelity that's now part and parcel of his whole life story, how are we to take this as a part of Arnold's legacy? Because to me, it does, in some sense, make me think a little worse of him as a person and in his movies as well. Well, it's impossible not to. It's the ugly underbelly of a piece of entertainment. And we had this discussion, we were talking about professional wrestling, which is the impact that this business has on the lives of the people who perform. In comic books, it's a treatment of creators. And with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's the fact that he's kind of a creepy grab ass and that he has a long history of being a creepster. We saw this in the Pumping Iron documentary that he did. He was talking about becoming Mr. Olympia, where they ask him about what it's like to pump iron. He's like, it's like coming. It's like having <laughs> sex with a woman than coming. And it's just way too much information. And he'd there was the scandals that we saw of him while he was in office. I mean, when politicians get a bit of a reputation, Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury will draw them as an icon rather than a person. Right. What was Arnold Schwarzenegger's icon? He was a giant hand. Did they call him like de Gropenfuhrer or something? <laughs> he's well known as somebody who has a real disrespect for women. And he's somebody who was kind of coasted into the United States on a wave of money and people telling him that he's right. And when you see in those commentaries, when he's being a complete idiot, the director doesn't want to tell him off or make fun of him. There's a deferential attitude people have towards him. So I don't think he's ever been disabused of it. And I think the first time he ever faced consequences for it was while running for governor and yep. Terminator 3 was coming out. Because Arnold is not ever playing an actor or a role, Arnold is always playing Arnold. I think that it was it was indelibly marked on me his sexism with true lies. And that oh, immensely yeah. uncomfortable scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is done sexy for me. And like yeah. having to do this very weird thing and slick back her hair with the water from the flowers and everything. Right. And that has stuck with me for a long time. And I felt kind of badly when this was sort of confirmed with his infidelity and his comments during the governor's race and whatnot. Because I, I had remembered seeing other ones that were not the toilet bowl. You know, it's fun to smash women's faces into toilet bowls because they're women and uh, whatever. I felt badly having it sort of confirmed for me saying, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that's Arnold, because that's a director's choice. And that's a screenwriter's choice to have Arnold be this weird, gross, creepy guy that's making his wife dance sexy for someone that she feels is kidnapping her. It was intensely uncomfortable. Plus the fact that you said the different women in the action movies and, and everything. I can't even get straight which one is Alyssa Milano and Eliza Dushku in any of the little like action movies. <laughs> it's not just the women that he plays opposite of. It's also the little girls that then go on to become. He's, he's just always saving his weirdly 12 year old daughter. I don't know. I, I think I've really noticed that there is a misogyny, a lot of 80s action movies. I mean, just the same way that there's kind of a right leaning spin to him. Right. I mean, Stallone doesn't have any different thing in his action movies either. He was married to Maria Shriver for 20 some years, right? And I think we have to be careful when we paint somebody as misogynist and, and womanizing. There's no way that anybody in the Kennedy clan would tolerate that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Slow oh. clap. Slow clap, sir. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Folks, if you could have seen the shit-eating grin on Todd's face. <laughs> that <laughs> That's where I'm like, wait, is he serious? Your night. <laughs> it was like a two-click, click. Wait, is Todd just totally not with us on the same page? <laughs> oh, no, he's joking because he's a smart man. Oh, the misogyny is nothing new to Schwarzenegger movies. You see it in all, the, all of the 80s, especially 80s action films. But Schwarzenegger movies, you felt it more pronounced. All the more confusing because those movies are excessively homoerotic. 
Yeah. Men will do anything oh. for other muscled, oiled up men. I, I was noticing this too. There was, uh, when I was rewatching Commando last night as the last minute cram, and like there are so many scenes like of, of course, just the shopping montage of him breaking open the surplus store and having all these guns and cocking all the guns and doing this stuff. And then you cut to the island where the bad guy lives and they're showing where all the military hardware that they're amassing for their army. And it's like panned from underneath a table and you're seeing like a howitzer and there's a guy with a rag like rubbing the howitzer back and forth. And I was like, the phallic imagery is out of control. There's a guy in the background. The director told him, take this rag and wipe the howitzer barrel back and forth. Right. And behind that, I don't know if you've seen that same scene, but there is a big shiny rack of penises right behind that. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It is a cavalcade of penises in his movies. Yes. And the weird thing is when you look at the commando especially, he's there to save his daughter. But he doesn't have a spouse of any kind. That yep. You don't want to think about Arnold Schwarzenegger having sex, both literally, but also in the story of the movie. But there's a misogyny there. There's the idea that women are something that get in the way of me having fun and making jokes and killing people. The Radon Chong character in that movie, is her job is basically rain on the parade and go, oh my god, you people are fucking crazy! Yeah, she's, she's the Fay Ray of 80s action movies. She's just going, what? the whole time it's crazy because it's a misogyny but it's not an adolescent misogyny it's almost a six-year-old misogyny it's a little yeah. boy it's misogyny it's the i don't want little girls in my clubhouse misogyny. boys only yeah. girls are yucky <laughs> well i must say that as my preparation i watched total recall last night i oh. refreshed my memory of total recall and i was really struck which, which by... was actually what the governor election was called yes total yes. recall was waiting for that joke to come up but um you know him just just wholesale punching the shit out of sharon stone and you know just boom boom it is sharon stone right yeah okay yeah it is and saying wow maybe it's because this is 20 years old i'm not sure but the wholesale rock'em sock'em robot moves that he's pounding on her face i don't know whether it's a time scale thing whether it's an artifact of late 80s early 90s or a paul verhoeven carnal stuff like as he's known for or, you know, in that movie, he also picks his ideal woman out of, like, from a computer, right? Yes. He, like, describes exactly how Sl- he wants slim, the body. Slim, athletic, and... and slutty, but demure, or... No, he doesn't say slutty. It's some other phrase. I don't know. Skanky. Voluptuous. Mm, but, yeah. <laughs> well, and, okay, and back to the homoerotic nature of a lot of Arnold movies, that entire movie basically ends in a huge orgasm, right? With the mountain blowing up and, you know... And Arnold's eyes bugging out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. No, I, I don't know what kind of orgasm that I is. Didn't have, I didn't it's have a scary this, one. <laughs> I didn't have this as a question, but it just occurred to me now that part of Arnold Schwarzenegger's legacy is tied to Stan Winston. Dude, oh, no. yeah. Stan Winston is the guy who made the Terminator head. That was such an incredible piece of practical special effects and that he carried Stan Winston along with him to a lot of movies afterwards. So you mean Arnold's skull doesn't actually look like that? Because I'd believe it. <laughs> This is also something, too. I rewatched Terminator 2 and seen Commando and stuff, and I saw End of Days, too. Arnold Schwarzenegger is interesting because he's also an action figure that, in the realm of special effects, is on the late stage of practical effects and at the beginning of CGI effects. Absolutely. T2 was groundbreaking for that. And when you get to something like End of Days, which I just watched, there's kind of a speed-esque subway crash in it. I guess at a certain point in time, seeing subway cars crash in flames was like just a thing to do. That was definitely done with models. It looked like a Tim Burton movie because it was so modely. And then, But then, of course, there was CG stuff that was very carefully peppered in the rest of it. What I think is fascinating about Arnold Schwarzenegger in this late stage is that, you know, in the earlier, there's no digital blood spatter. 
in anything. There's there isn't an over heavy use in digital explosions or giant CGI set pieces. We're talking mostly about the type of really fun practical effects that are done in 80s action movies that involve lots of real helicopters and guns firing blanks and and dummies getting thrown off buildings. And dummies getting thrown off buildings. A lot of corn syrup blood. Exactly. My question is really Arnold Schwarzenegger moving forward. Those movies were a certain way and this was Arnold in his prime. Can Arnold Schwarzenegger fit into the future of big-ticket Hollywood movies, the CGI-laden, nonstop action-thrill movies? I don't think he adapts super well to the new world. I mean, if you look at the way movies have changed in just the past 10 years, the prevalence of CGI versus practical effects, he was largely absent from movie-making because he was governor during that time. So movies have changed a lot since he's been there. So the fact that you're not seeing him during that transition makes him feel a bit more like a dinosaur. And I think that the fact that he feels a bit like a dinosaur is why something like The Expendables is probably the smartest business movie can make because he has to recognize that his entire appeal is based on nostalgia, that people remember him from when they were a kid, they've seen him on lunchboxes, they've done impressions of him, they want him to be that guy. And I think it's really prescient that you mentioned Shatner earlier because I think we're in the part of his... You mentioned Shatner earlier. (laughs) I think I mentioned Shatner. We all mentioned Shatner. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, you were prescient. (laughs) We mentioned that because he has to become that parody now. He's in the part of his career where he has to play it up to 11, not expect to be taken seriously, play to the stereotypes and the joke that's grown beyond ever what he was. I mean, if you look at the Hans and Franz skits that they used to do on Saturday Night Live, McBain on The Simpsons, he's got to basically play a parody of himself rather than himself because people want that. They want this idea that he was, even if he never completely was that. So he's got to play up the accent. He's got to do more catchphrases. He's got to throw people off of buildings. He's got to blow up buildings and make a joke and smirk at the camera. He's got to be more Arnold than he's ever been if he wants to survive. See, I think he already did that. In fact, the majority of his career was that. I think he started off his career, as we were talking about, with some really iconic films. And he made that brand of Arnold Schwarzenegger. But by the time you transition through Kindergarten Cop and you get to movies like Twins and things like that, he is true lies. He is parodying the Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that became the new Arnold Schwarzenegger. So to go and parody that, I'm not sure how you parody the parody. I agree. And I don't know that the addition of really big ticket CG stuff or 3D or when you have all those sensors and you have a acting across from a guy wearing little CG sensors that's just going to get cartooned over afterwards. I don't know that that will bring anything more to the brand of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I mean, you did see in the Terminator Salvation, because they didn't get the actual Arnold, they had a CGI Arnold, right? Like they had a naked CGI Arnold Schwarzenegger pop out there, because that was what you needed to have in a Terminator movie. And it was old school. Hair was parted in the middle. That's true. It was smart. They were going back to, I think, the true, like I said, what's going to last with Schwarzenegger. How is it you put it about watching Arnold Schwarzenegger in a, in a late stage movie? Oh, yeah. It's a bit... If you want to watch Arnold in a late stage movie, it's a bit like watching an old pet try to get up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> that you know what he was and seeing him try to be that 20 years later and not really quite achieving it. So when you see this guy who's clearly older is trying to be what he was, that he's never had that easy wading into what his older acting career would be because there was a sudden stop as governor and now he's trying to start up where he left off 
but he didn't have the gliding down. He has a sudden drop, and you notice it a lot more, where Stallone was still appearing in stuff. Stallone was still directing movies. He was recreating himself, and now has realized that he wants to bring back the nostalgia of what he used to be, so he's kind of grabbing for that. So it, you never saw Stallone's career fall off a cliff. Except in Cliffhanger, maybe. Yeah. Yes, that one. <laughs> Sorry. With Lithgow. <laughs> You never, you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger's career and the act of being governor and being a partisan figure is something that he can't fully detach from because there are people that don't like that he vetoed same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. That's always going to be a part of their judgment. It wouldn't have been a part of their judgment before. And it's hard to take yourself out of politics without some of politics following you. Let's talk about that part too. This is one that we glossed over, but we didn't. I mean, what are we to make of Arnold Schwarzenegger, aside from the easy joke to make as a politician? I mean, obviously he was successful in the fact that he was elected twice. That's basically the standard for success of politicians. But I mean, he left office with an approval rating in the low 20%, which is basically the same as the person who he succeeded, Gray Davis. Given the fact that he became this one-liners, I'm still the governor who calls his opponents girly men, what do we make of his ongoing political career? And cheers or jeers for this guy? I think that the perfect marriage of his political career and his acting career is what is left for Arnold to do, because I think he's hammed it up so much. The Expendables is a really good place for him, but I think that he has two possibilities. One is to keep doing Expendables type stuff or do funny little like I'm a grandpa, stupid kids movies, you know, like with a you know funny, smart talking kid. Or if he really wanted to continue it, I think he could have a place in the political thriller films. I was thinking oh. about that. I could see him as the guy that you, you know, not even as a star, but the guy that your main character gets into the car with and he gives him information and you you want to know more about this guy. Yeah. Or else he's like a low level cabinet member or an unpaid attention to cabinet member who's really the mastermind behind some conspiracy. I think that there could be a really good place for him in the political thriller films. I'd like to see him play the action hero president of the United States, (laughs) where he literally rips the sleeves off of his suit and beats up terrorists with his bare hands. I wouldn't expect anything less of you, Mike. Is it like President Mountain Dew Camacho? What was from the Idiocracy? That's what I want to see. I want to see a giant cartoon caricature. I want to see him learn to laugh at his politics the way that he's learned to laugh at his persona on film. I was kind of a fun joke candidate, and I was a fun joke governor. And I want to be that action hero that you remember me of as a kid without any of the nasty, divisive things that you may have seen from my political career. I think action hero president would probably satisfy possibly his need to run for higher office, because like you said, 20-something percent is not something that says you have a career or a future there. Is Arnold just best forgotten as a politician at this point? I think he wants you to forget him as a politician. I don't think he wants to go back to that well. I think what I see from him is a desperate need to recapture how people saw him in the 80s or at least the 90s. Also, I feel like that with his big breakout success with Conan the Barbarian was directed by infamous right-wing Reaganite John Milius, who was also the inspiration for Walter Sobchak in The Big Lebowski, interestingly enough. It's such a curious contradiction i think in him as a person in the fact that he's kind of known for being like the strong man being like the ass kicking is authority and becoming a republican in a time when republicans were the fiercest hawks they were ever were but then having this love affair with the kennedys the bastion of american liberalism yeah it seems a little interesting that he would put himself into that sort of position i mean obviously it's more likely that you'll win if you run on a major party ticket And it's impossible to choose one without immediately turning off a lot of people that would pay a ticket to see his movies. So it's interesting. I think he's trying to slide away from the reputation of being conservative, and he just wants to be 
the giant action figure that he used to be. I think he was comfortable then. He didn't have political enemies then. He was just a big goofball that nobody really had a beef with because they didn't think of him as a threat in that direction. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with High Point, Low Point. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available Mondays on AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. Fan the flame and ride the wave. I'm Rich Lyons. I'm Deanna Joy Lyons. After 20 years behind the pulpit, I lost my faith. After a lifetime of trying to make sense of religion, I realized I never had any faith. Where to turn? What to do? Shunned. Abandoned. Rejected. Cut off. Post-traumatic stress. Now there is help. Join us on the Living After Faith podcast. Living After Faith. Come laugh with me. Welcome back, Radio versus the Martians. It's time for High Point, Low Point. We're going to start off with Low Point. Becky, what's your low point for Arnold Schwarzenegger? What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! (laughs) (laughs) For its ridiculosity factor, for its anti-science factor, and for the fact that it was basically a stage play done in neon for 13-year-old boys with terrible sex puns. (laughs) That was Batman and Robin. (laughs) That, that role was going to go to Patrick Stewart before it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I'm really, really glad that it was Arnold and not Patrick Stewart. I think they're frequently up for the same roles. <laughs> Just the bald head. <laughs> no, he's not bald. I don't know what the deal with that movie is. Because I think the guys in Rift Tracks put it really well, where they don't know what the target audience for Batman and Robin is. Is this a movie for six-year-olds who like puns and fetish wear? <laughs> because it's hard to determine what audience we're trying to reach. Bat nipples on one end and cartoonish puns and bad guys on the other. There's actually a woo 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 There are <laughs> Hanna-Barbera sound effects in that movie. <laughs> yep. I don't, I don't even... I think there's even a bonk sound when somebody gets cracked on the head. Coconuts. Yes. There's a coconut oh, scene. Oh, really? God, I only saw it once and I was at someone's house that I was staying at during the summer and I had exhausted all of the good movies in their collection. And I'm like, fuck it. I'll watch Batman and Robin. I'm not, I didn't pay the rental for it. I was so disappointed. <laughs> it was so disappointed. How long ago was that? <sighs> 12 or 13 years ago. Okay. Watch it again now. And no. you will have forgotten how bad it is. I have recently watched this with both Becky and Sam. It was the Riff Tracks version. Which makes it barely tolerable. It's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. (laughs) I had forgotten how much of a cartoon that movie was. I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters. Watching it, seeing how cartoonishly over the top all of the sets were, and how on the nose and bizarrely caricatured all of the acting was, I guess I had toned it down in my head. I had no idea Hmm. how bad that was, and it all came flooding back. I'm I'm just remembering that I actually had a choice that afternoon of which two movies to watch. One was Batman and Robin. The other was Ishtar. And of course, I chose Batman and Robin, because what would you choose of those two, right? I'm going Ishtar every time on that. (laughs) Yeah. 
You know, I'll let my kids watch The Shining or Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or something like that, but they're not getting anywhere near Batman and Robin. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike, what was your low point for Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, We're living in it right now. Oh. I'm not trying to take a stab at the dude, but we look at where his career is. You would never get anywhere near him because he'd be able to karate chop block your stab. I don't think he moves that fast anymore. I think I can actually outrun Arnold for the first time (laughs) in my life. And I'm a fat guy, so (laughs) it says something about him. His career is never going to be what it was. It's not even going to be what it was post-Last Action Hero, which was the first time he'd ever had a flop. His career now, after being governor, didn't have that slow, comfortable coasting decline that Stallone's had, where he sort of slowly slid out of your consciousness. It was a drop. He went into a different job and he came back. The drop was still there, but it wasn't gradual. He puts out movies now that I never even hear about. I mean, when I was a kid, it was impossible to avoid knowing that a Schwarzenegger movie was out, and I probably see it. He did a movie with Johnny Knoxville last year, and I don't even remember what that movie was called. All I know is that I didn't see it, and I still have no interest in seeing it. Again, for that same reason, it feels a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger is an elderly pet. Watching him struggle to do what he did in his youth, and now seeing him, it's just kind of painful because I think he may be in that pre-Shatner revelation, and instead of being as cartoonish as I feel he should be, I think he's still trying to recapture something. That he can't come back from being a political figure without having the stink of that partisanship on him. And he's never going to be able to fully escape that. There are a bunch of people who will not watch his movie because he was a Republican. Hmm. And there are people that don't want to watch his movie because he took a stand on same-sex marriage or the things he said to Ariana Huffington or the fact that his personal life makes him look like a giant creepster. It's hard to come away from that because as soon as you get political enemies the way you do when you run for political office, that stuff will come out eventually because you are a threat to people now. You are actually running against them You're competing for a job, and you're competing for power. And now that you're doing that, the stuff that people just brushed aside because you were just the goofball meathead in the movies, now is fodder to actually attack you politically. There's no coming out with it. And I think that even he's realized politics is a dead end now. I mean, of course, he'll say, I'll run in for president in a heartbeat, but I don't think he really will. I look at this and I see somebody who, when he put out the biography of himself last year called Total Recall, because again, you got to go for the catchphrase, give people what they want. He's practically bragging about his infidelity now. And I think he's basically bombing that bridge, cauterizing that wound and moving on, but not moving on. He's trying to go back. He's trying to find who he was before then and recapture it, but it's just not going to be there. So that's my low point. Okay. Todd, low point. Low point, I would say, is that kid he had with the housekeeper. I mean, that kid looks almost like the Travolta kid, right? (laughs) All right. Uh, Seriously, the the low point, I think, is that he didn't respond to Mike's request to give me some sort of award or certificate for saving his book from certain urine peril. (laughs) Oh, you got to tell that story. Okay, so, gosh, maybe 10 years ago or so, I was working at uh, a Barnes & Noble store, and there was a guy walking around in the middle of winter, and he had like a button-up, like an Oxford shirt on over a big puffy coat. So he looked like <laughs> like one of those kids in a Hulk costume, kind of, you know, he's a puffy guy. He looked really weird, and he smelled like urine really strongly. And he was bothering all the women in the store, asking them if he could use our copy machine or computer, which, you know, of course not. So I talked to him, tried to direct him to Kinko's and uh, get him out the door. And I had trouble doing that. Instead, he went back for kind of a slow-moving guy. He quickly darted back to sports, and he grabbed the giant Arnold Schwarzenegger weightlifting Bible thing. (laughs) 
it's a classic weightlifting book, evidently. It's huge. Because you can lift it and get yeah, in shape. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just the book itself will right. do the job. So, and he heads straight back to the bathroom with it. And I'm all over him, you know. So, I go straight in there. I mean, he's just gone in. I'm right on him. I come right in. And he's already standing in front of the urinal holding the book. And... <laughs> He's unzipping and I get I, I don't get the impression that this is a sexual thing. I really feel like this guy who smells like urine is going to urinate all over this book because he's pissed <laughs> at us about this whole copy computer thing. <laughs> and of course, I, I stop him and I tell him to get the fuck out of the store and I take the book and, and so on. And Mike really enjoyed this story later on. So you want to? Yeah, I actually contacted Schwarzenegger's office. I wrote an email. Unbeknownst to, to me. <laughs> I didn't want you to know until I got a response, which I never did. Oh, I said, I would like to see if there's some sort of civic award that I can give <laughs> to somebody who prevented a terrible tragedy. They'll finally give you your presidential fitness award from elementary school? Yeah. Like that an honorary presidential fitness yeah, award? Yeah, honorary presidential fitness. Anything. It, doesn't, it, it can just be something with his signature on it and maybe some kind of gold stamp. <laughs> but something from his office that says, thank you for preventing this horrible tragedy. I don't want my book to get pissed all over. <laughs> and I held on to this for several months hoping that I would get something sent to the store and it never came. And I eventually had to tell you because I just like, I was sitting on it for such a long time. I'm like, <laughs> I was really hoping that he would find it amusing enough or somebody working for him would find it amusing enough that they would do a joke thing and send you that award. Right. But no, uh, it was not in the cards. That to me showed that there was a complete lack of that sense of humor that he is playing on screen anyway, that it seems to be lacking, at least from whoever's accepting his mail. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a terrible low point, in my opinion. <laughs> it's too bad, because it's like, I would have never voted for him, but my impression of him would have gone up. Great. Oh, yeah. Great segue, Mike, because I was a resident of California during the Gray Davis recall election, and I witnessed the sham circus of an election that was the recall election, and this is my low point. I went to film school, graduated in the year 2002, and I believe the recall election was in 2003. It was like right after I graduated. And you know, you can't go to Los Angeles for doing that and not have an element of starfucker sort of in the conversation way you meet people. So I don't have, I'd never met Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I do remember at the time being amongst all these people, especially people who are native Los Angelinos, people who could live there their entire life. And so they were utterly steeped in this culture of celebrity is everything. Like if you're notable and if your name is there, that's everything. When the election came along, it was a, it's a, if you don't know about this, I would, re I would recommend that you look up, there was like 160 or 150 candidates. Because in a recall election, like the barrier to running was something stupid, like a couple thousand dollars and 5,000 signatures or something, which is in a state like California is nothing. And so you had 150 candidates, everyone from Arnold himself to like Gary, Gary Coleman. Coleman and Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler. Some porn star, Mary Carey. Yes, the porn star. You had Gallagher 2. Gallagher 2. Gallagher 2. Gallagher's <laughs> lesser brother. Right. He's like the Frank Stallone of bad comedy. Yes. <laughs> So, and you, and then, you know, Ariana Huffington, now she's famous because of the blog and whatnot. And you had some real candidates, like think of the lieutenant governor. I voted for Peter Camacho myself, the socialist. Of course I did. But the thing that I felt that was the low point for me is that I had friends whose opinion I otherwise would have respected who voted for Arnold Schwarzenegger. And why did they vote for him? Because he has a name that you recognize. And to me, yeah, California had a reputation for electing 
actors as governor. Yes, Ronald Reagan. We know that ended up happening. But this was just stupid. And it pointed out to me the two things that one should learn about what happens in life is one, never underestimate the stupidity of humanity. And two, there is no institution that is strong enough to withstand the utter and complete goofiness of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And unfortunately, like, it made that whole process a joke. And I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has made politics even more of a joke because of what he did. And that is my low point. So... Shall we move on? This is the creme de la creme of creme de la Schwarzenegger. Let's go back to Todd. Todd, tell me. High point for Schwarzenegger. Well, my favorite thing that he's ever done by far is Predator. Oh. And which is my also my favorite action film. I think it's, I was just telling Mike the other day that it's like if you boiled down action movie, especially 80s action movie, into its bare essence, it would be Predator. And even the climax itself is even a microcosm of that bullion cube. It's just a fist fight. <laughs> yes. It just comes down to mano y mano, so to speak, you know. But that I don't think is the high point. I'll go back again to Conan the Barbarian. I think that, mm. I think he, he brings that character to life on screen. It's not the most intelligent portrayal of Conan, but it's also his early days. So he should bumble and be foolish at times, but he's heroic and and he's able to establish a lot of different things there. But I do think it's one of those things that will go down and it already has gone down as one of those great films, period. So I would say High Point was Conan. And I hate to say that it's so early in his career, but I really do feel like he was doing that post-career parody already by Twins. Mike, High Point? High point, I can boil it down to a movie as well. I'm going to say Commando. I love the shit out of Commando. (laughs) Commando, to me, is the bullion cube, the boiling down of Schwarzenegger as an action star. Not the action genre itself, but when you think of the prototypical Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, the one that you see parodied on The Simpsons as McBain, it's Commando. Yeah. When you think of the movie you want to see Arnold in, or that If you've never seen an Arnold movie, the movies you assume all of his movies are, and we get down to it, we're talking about stupid, hilarious, absurd, macho bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Absurd is right. Uh, I I, I love this scene when they're in the mall trying to track down Sully and Radon Chong calls them all security on them. And so they like, they, they recruit like not only all of the Galleria's shopping mall force, but obviously they have like some guys on reserve on the bed somewhere because there's like 30 dudes coming out of It's like a football team. And they get him after he tries to pull Sully out of the booth and they all swarm on him and they do this goofy thing. He's like on the ground and they're all swarming all over him and he, and he jumps up, arms akimbo in the air and like throws them all off. It's a total Matrix reloaded it's Agent totally Smith. Brawl. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It was so goofy. They may as well have had like the bowling ball sound like they had in Matrix Reloaded on there. <laughs> It was so goofy. And then he exits the scene by grabbing onto a giant balloon, I think, and then swinging down from the highest level. I love it. The character he plays in this movie is named John Matrix, <laughs> which is probably perhaps the thing that prophesied the uh, <laughs> the Agent Smith fighting tactic against the Rent-A-Cops. <laughs> but what I love about this is that this is a story about a retired professional badass who probably spent most of the 80s single-handedly wiping out entire South American governments. And now one of those guys is back and has kidnapped Arnold's daughter and wants to blackmail him. And the beautiful thing is this South American dictator is planned by Dan Hedaya. Yes, I love it. (laughs) The dad from Clueless with a spray-on tan and a Tony Montana accent. Oh my God. And his, his hired goon is one of Arnold's old associates, Bennett. And you can't talk about Commando without talking about Bennett. This is Freddie Mercury on steroids. Yes, it with is. a chainmail shirt. Oh, my God. Chainmail shirt. He's got the, uh, the push broom mustache. He's got the fingerless gloves, <laughs> the leather pants. 
It is everything except for the leather cop daddy outfit or the hat. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's great. And I love this movie so much. It's got catchphrases that never end. It is one string of absurd action sequences followed by a joke. And as the great website RuthlessReviews.com has said, no other movie has more ways to hilariously celebrate the death of a fellow human being. (laughs) What I found was strange is that he has to get from point A to point B it's a succession of him commandeering different convertibles. Like he goes from one convertible and then to the next convertible and to the next convertible. And then it's like in an airplane. And then, he chases yeah. a bad guy, destroys his car doing so, <laughs> takes their car and yes. chases after the next bad guy and repeats the process. Right. It's so great. And it has the best Arnold catchphrase in any movie ever, which is the bad guys are about to put him on the plane before he escapes. And he looks at Sully, who's the wormy little henchman and just goes, I like you, Sully. You're a funny guy. That's why I'm going to kill you last. <laughs> this, uh, to me, is yet another thing you have in common with Giorgio Tsoukalos, the extraterrestrial guy from uh, <laughs> Aliens. Uh, he's, as you know, he's an avid collector of movie soundtracks. And his favorite is... <laughs> is the soundtrack to Commando, which is entirely steel drums. It is so good. The (laughs) intro where you see him walking down, you first catch Arnold in this. But the soundtrack, the steel drums never stop. It's like playing (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog. It's it's steel in the beginning. The the beginning when you see Schwarzenegger, he's carrying a log on his shoulder, a fucking tree on his shoulder with a small, very, very small chainsaw. It's not a... With a giant. Yeah blade on it it's yes that thing he's like holding two separate phallic symbols <laughs> yes. at the same time and the flourish of music comes up and it is steel drums an asian flute and then like regular synth drums standard 80s action music all at the same time layered over each other and then the crescendo hits and it's like a soft core saxophone <laughs> yes, it yes. is glorious <laughs> There is nothing not bearish about this scene. I'm impressed with how intense you you guys just got. I love a commando so much. The end of the movie is like the video game Contra for NES. You see Arnold basically dropped onto an island single-handedly, and he's going to kill the whole island. (laughs) He shoots the guys with a gun. And he he does with a plum, for sure. (laughs) He shoots guys with a gun until he runs out of ammo, drops a gun, moves on to his next one until he's out of ammo. He dives into a shed to avoid being shot at. And when he comes out of that shed, he kills guys with a fire axe, a machete, two circular saw blades thrown as ninja stars, and a pitchfork all within 20 seconds. (laughs) They just stand there and take it because they're so in awe of his... He just wades through these guys. Like, they were tin soldiers. It is, like I said, absurd, macho bullshit at its finest. I love Commando. And not just because the movie starts out with him wearing little pink shorts and feeding a deer with Alyssa Milano. (laughs) I love it so much. Commando, high point. Nice. Becky, can you muster up a high point for Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't feel as joyous about my high point as Mike does. Um, But my high point in my personal interface with Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually T23D. A really little known, little celebrated short that was actually aired at Universal Studios for Mm -hmm. about 10 years. I was saddened to see that it actually had wrapped up finally December 31st of 2012. Whoa! Um, That lasted a long fucking time. It did. So anyway, 
T2-3D was at Universal Studios for a long time, and it was actually before Terminator 3 came out. Right. But it had a little Arnold Flash on his motorcycle coming into the rescue, and it was basically Eddie Furlong and Linda Hamilton, and it was this whole Terminator experience because it was one of those theme rides where you go in, you have the pre-show where you're all waiting in line, and they do an awesome thing like entertaining you while you're waiting in line to go see this thing. And they, you, okay, Cyberdyne Systems, blah, blah, blah. You're, and it's, it's like an you know, alternate reality game sort of yeah, entertainment It's kind of like thing. the line at Star Tours. Like, it's actually really cool to stand yes. in line there. Absolutely. So I very much liked it. And it was a 3D movie that was about 16, 17, 18 minutes long. And I think it actually still officially is the most expensive movie in all filmmaking history. Mm. It's oh. not a feature-length film, but it costs several tens of millions of dollars to produce. And it is the most expensive film. And it is probably Arnold's most underwatched, underrated films. Nice. I was reaching into the obscurity grab bag there. I'm thinking back to about 2001 going on a family vacation to Universal. So yeah. was... <laughs> was this uh, Universal Hollywood or down in Orlando? This was down in Florida. But okay. I think that it's traveled around to I different so, places. In California. Yeah. And there's also Universal like Europe or Universal oh, Japan sure, yeah. or something like I just, that. I know it was in Orlando. I didn't know. if Yeah. I really, really wanted to say Terminator 2. It's a personal favorite of mine, not just for the nostalgia goggles, but also for reasons that I said before. I think it's just a really well-done movie. But for me, I really have to go with The Running Man. The Running Man was, not too many people know this, The Running Man was based on a Stephen King story written under his alternate nom de plume, Richard Bachman, I believe. And really, it's the perfect showpiece for Arnold Schwarzenegger ass-kicking. All that it is is him getting out of prison and he's taken in front of a successively more and more waves of comical villains after him so he can kill them all in an appropriate manner and then make a one-liner. Also, this movie would not have the stature that it does without them taking real-world creepster game show host Richard Dawson and making him the game show host of the futuristic Running Man game show. Yeah, it's he perfect. perfect. You believe every minute of it because he lives it. But also, when he does the behind-the-scenes stuff where he's negotiating, he seems like a cocky asshole network television star, too. He's able to play that to a T. And then, of course, you, one can't help love his Predator co-star, Jesse Ventura, as Captain Freedom, the retired gladiator who uh, now makes workout videos. <laughs> it also was the movie that inspired Smash TV, the video game, one of my favorite games of all time. But also, I think it hasn't held up so well. But for me, the thing that I love going back and watching Running Man, it's kind of the guilty pleasure like Johnny Mnemonic for me. It is not a great movie. It actually doesn't look good, and it's full of crazy logic plot holes, but it sells that Arnold Schwarzenegger, that typical action sci-fi genre to a T, where you have a vaguely dystopian world where they throw in just enough futuristic sci-fi looking stuff, like I remember him getting shot by the net, trying to get on boarding the airplane, like computer readouts that make little bleep bloop noises and stuff. There always has to be computers involved with it somehow. Are they green on a black screen? They were yeah, green yep. grids on a black screen. I also thought that their use of splicing Arnold Schwarzenegger because they need to kill his character to increase ratings, splicing Arnold Schwarzenegger's body onto another gladiator fighting a classic fight with Captain Freedom as the way to doing it was the typical 80s treatment of video editing technology <laughs> where you take a wireframe mesh of a guy and somehow it's able to instantly translate the image of a guy in another one. I think it's a perfect time capsule of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and I don't think they're ever going to make one any better than that. Jim Brown in a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
It's been a riot. Thank you so much, Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Thanks for having me. Becky Friedman, thank you so very much. Es un placer. And once again, Chong to my cheech. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much, Mike Gillis. Happy to be here. That's all. And listen to us next month on our point five episode. And have a great time. Bye-bye. Clown, show me the wizard who killed my mother. True, I've never played to you before. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Clam, if you're my god, then show me the way. I swear this wizard will fall, cause this has begun, they murdered them all. I'm the last one, I issued the call, revenge for my mom, I pray to you. Your enemies see them driven before you and hear the lamentation of the women. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's right, Major. You did. I lied. No, no, no!